0: Welcome to the Latter day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from
1: inspiring women of faith today. I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shaylin Back. We're your co-hosts. Today, we are thrilled to welcome Sherry Dew to the podcast. Sherry, thank you for being here with us today.
2: My joy. Thank you for the privilege.
1: <laughs> well, and Sherry, I feel like there's many women in the church, myself included, who feel a strong connection to you or even feel like we know you just because of the books and biographies that you've written, the talks that you've given, your service in the General Relief Society presidency. And Carly and I just feel so fortunate to be talking with you today. Oh, yeah. uh, thank you so I, it's much. It's my privilege, so thank you. So, Sherry, we were sad to hear about the recent passing of your mother. And as we were preparing for this interview and reviewing many of your talks and interviews, you frequently spoke about your mother and grandmother. And mm-hmm. your grandmother passed when you were quite young. Mm-hmm. And in one of your general conference talks, you said to the world, My grandma was ordinary. And I just feel that. I feel like I'm an ordinary mom, that I do ordinary things just day after day. And it's easy for me to get caught up in that and you know feel like I'm maybe not doing enough and we would just love to know from you will you tell us about the influence that your mother and grandmother had on you and then how did these women who may have seemed ordinary to the world how did they leave lasting legacies
2: Yeah, great question I've thought about this a lot let's start with grandma and then we'll go to my mother grandma died when I was 11 so think oh, how wow. young I was and yet her imprint upon my life is unmistakable and it's really quite profound and I've tried to figure out, why is that? But as a little girl on the farm, I followed her around like her little shadow. I went over to her, ha- her house so we could have school. You know, this is when, when I was preschool age, of course, and couldn't read, couldn't write. Uh, later, she was um, absolutely uh, an aficionado of family history, long became, before it became fashionable. I've got letters that she wrote to senior brethren asking doctrinal questions about turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers. My image of her is going in her home and her being surrounded by quote unquote church books and stacks of genealogy sheets, which of course we don't even do anymore, right? We don't, but she had stacks of them. And for a good long while she served, I don't know what her exact calling was, but it was like the genealogy specialist in the mission. So at first it was the Western States mission. And maybe it started as the Central States mission, then went went to the Western States mission, but she would take me, her oldest granddaughter, and we had drive from Kansas up to Nebraska and down to New Mexico and over into Colorado oh to all of these different district conferences, right? So there I'm with my grandma, and she's having me do genealogy and she's I don't know, I just I just loved being with her. And somehow, and again, I've just got to, you know, I'm trying to remember my little girl memories. But somehow, she just implanted in me certain things, like a love for the scriptures. And I think it's because... I don't remember ever reading the scriptures with her. I think it was seeing her Observing her Uh, practices, right? exactly. And I write all over my scriptures. I think it's because grandma did. And I saw that there were arrows and this and underline and things in the margin. And that's exactly what mine looked like. So I would say to grandmothers... Never underestimate the power that you have on your grandchildren, especially when they get to have some concentrated time with you. So I, yeah, she died when I was in the seventh grade. I was only 11, and I was heartbroken. I was crushed. But her influence on me has been profound, as has my own mother's. I'll give you a little, maybe just one episode from my mother's life with me as her daughter. So she was born in Hiram, Utah, raised in Logan. And then this Kansas farm boy comes out from the Midwest (laughs) to the Utah State Agricultural College, (laughs) finds this young, unsuspecting girl, marries her and drags her back to the Midwest. (laughs) So she she goes from a place where the church is fully organized, big war, da-da-da. There wasn't even a branch. There were six other members of the church, grandma and grandpa. My grandma was the first member in southwest Kansas.
1: That's so neat.
2: And my grandpa didn't get baptized until my dad was eight, and they got baptized together in the horse tank. <laughs> <laughs> so grandma and grandpa. So picture, there's this girl that's now moved from, gotten married and moved to the boonies from Logan, beautiful Logan, Cache Valley. So she's going to church in her in-law's home with her in-laws, her brother-in-law and his wife, and one other older couple. <laughs> so I'm born three years later it's time for me to go to primary and there is no primary there still isn't a branch you are the primary i am the primary (laughs) so we discovered the other day or well it's actually been a while longer than that we discovered a minute book where mother held primary for me she Mm -hmm. kept minutes it says opening song opening prayer it was either me or mother the lesson the closing song and the closing prayer the other person gave the prayer sometimes it says visitors which was my one-year-old brother (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes grandma came, right? Week after week, all year long, she keeps this minute book of what she's doing to give primary to her little girl. My mother, there's never a time in her life that she would have thought of herself as being unusual in any way. She did think of herself as being the most ordinary of women. And when I look at my mother and my grandmother, they were actually quite extraordinary in their faith, their faithfulness, their diligence, their devotion, They were always there. They were always building. They were always supporting, always. And I think they were extraordinary, but the world wouldn't judge them as anything other than an ordinary woman. But in my life, they were, of course, extraordinary. And I think I could point you to countless other individuals whom they served through their church service. As there became a branch and then the district started to grow and whatever, my parents were always there. As long as Grandma was alive, she was always there. They're always in the middle of it. They're always serving. They're always holding down their two, three, four, or five callings, however many mm-hmm. it took to keep I this little keep branch afloat. So I saw extraordinary diligence in them. Nothing flashy. Mother didn't turn heads when she walked in a room, neither did grandma. But they were remarkable in my view.
1: Well, and to be a faithful woman of God, you don't need flashy but you no. said diligence you need diligence you need that consistency just as you were talking about having church in your home and your mother holding primary for you i for mean for me it's this. It's kind of we're going through that right now. At the time of this recording, um, we're in the midst of COVID nineteen when church is canceled basically, yeah. and so I'm just sitting there thinking like, well, I try to hold primary. It's amazing though to hear that your mother's consistency with that and her diligence. It would have been so easy for her my, not to hold primary for you. My sister, but yeah, incredible.
2: My sisters and I said when we, when we were home for mother's um, memorial and her b- burial, we said, "Mother." was doing, home-centered, church-supported, before anybody in (laughs) Salt Lake City thought about
0: it. She She really
2: was. And imagine the number of women around the world who've been in the exact same situation. Yep. Right? They're the first in their areas. They're the first family in their areas to start and everything starts to build around them. That was my family in Western Kansas.
0: Well, and I think, too, of the perception of ordinary, I think... What we think is just ordinary or mundane or everyday might actually be quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And you in reflecting on your mother and grandmother, it's like, no, that actually was pretty extraordinary. And maybe that's hard for us to perceive mm-hmm. in our own lives and in ourselves. Yeah,
2: I think it's true. We have clearer vision in retrospect, in hindsight. We just say, oh, I get that better now than when we're living through it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We just do. Wish it weren't the case, but I think that tends to be true.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that we are so blessed to have the guidance that we do from scriptures and prophets to kind of guide us on the the path of those things that are small and simple, but that have a profound effect on us and our families, so... And I, I love that you shared that your grandma had this love of the scriptures, and this she sounds like quite a seeker, both in, in genealogy and in scripture. And that was something that we've wanted to talk with you about. We don't know each other, Sherry, but I briefly took your institute class, probably I don't know, 10 years ago, I was home in between college semesters and you were teaching institute to some young adults in the area Mm -hmm. and I got to attend. And it was something that I know my peers all really enjoyed because you were so engaged. I think you really could connect with young people, with young adults. And it was very evident that you were a scholar of the scriptures. You carried the scriptures around, you you could flip them open and refer to them. And I was always impressed with that. And something that we wanted to talk with you about is that our prophet has challenged women to be that, to be seekers of truth, to be scholars of the word of God, scriptures, the words of the prophets. But I think there is this question of like, how? How Mm -hmm. do I go from where I am with my relationship with the scriptures to where I I know mm-hmm. I could be or need to be. How do I go beyond what I maybe learned to do or be in seminary or institute to become a, an even greater scholar or to, to glean more mm-hmm. truths? Um, so we would love to hear the advice that you have for women who want that in their lives. I don't have any magic bullets or any magical
2: answers. And, and the first thing I want to say is I, I do love the scriptures, and I, I think it did start with my grandmother. And I'm really grateful for that. And then I had a spectacular... They started Home Study Seminary. See, we didn't have regular seminary because I, like I'm the only kid in my high <laughs> school that was a Latter-day <laughs> Saint, right? <clears throat> Absolutely. And they sent a young seminary teacher out from Salt Lake, and I loved him. He was awesome. His name was Bob Arnold. Elder Mervyn Arnold is his brother. And Bob Arnold was a phenomenal teacher of the Scriptures. I can still remember to this day how he taught certain scriptural stories, and I was just mesmerized. It
0: stayed with you.
2: It it totally stayed with me, and it helped me realize that, oh, we don't read the scriptures just so we can read them and check it off on a box. There are things to plumb here that will help me in my life because he made it relevant, and he made me see that, oh, this is relevant to me here now. So some of those early influences were great. But that being said, I don't want to give the impression that I've got this all figured out Or that I don't struggle with it. Sometimes I have to kick myself into gear. (laughs) I think part of the reason that the Lord has kept me so busy is because left to my own devices, I'm a little bit of a goof off. (laughs) And a a, a little tendency... You need an assignment. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so I have a, a very deep appreciation for some of the challenges of motivating yourself to get into a pattern until the pattern becomes something you can't live without. Because I think that's what it takes for everybody. Whether we're talking about temple attendance, in the beginning when I went to the temple, it kind of spooked me a little to just be totally candid until a stake president said to me, how's your temple attendance? This is when he's calling me into the stake relief site presence. And I said, oh, it's not great. He said, just go, Sherry, just go. And so at first, I thought, okay, he's right. I know he's right. At first, I just went to be obedient. And then it crosses over at some point where you say, oh my gosh, I can't live without this. This has to be a regular part of my life. It's sustaining me. It's helping me. And that's exactly the same thing with the scriptures. You have to stick with it long enough that you suddenly realize, oh, I can't really go without the scriptures or I don't feel as good. I'm more cranky. I'm more perturbed about whatever's going on. I wonder why I don't have any ideas in my head. It's because I've gotten casual in my relationship with the scriptures. So there is something about just sheer obedience until it clicks in.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, I will say this, many, 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 many assignments have helped me because you're, you find yourself repeatedly in a position to say, okay, I need to think about this, I need to figure out what I can learn about that. And sometimes if I don't have an assignment, I give myself one to say, okay, I don't have any big pressing thing in front of me right now or I've got to speak to the world or speak to this conference or speak to whatever. But I really want to understand more about grace or I really want to understand more about something and give myself an assignment and invariably down the road something comes where I'm grateful I've been researching. So I both read, just read, but it's and that's good for me to just Mm -hmm. read and get the continuity and just keep doing it over and over again. But the most meaningful things happen to me when I say, okay, I want to stop and look at... What do those verses in DNC and 84 mean about the oath and covenant of the priesthood? And do they have anything to do with me as a woman? Let me read that language. And I remember the day that clicked on, I think, oh, my goodness. There are things that I've never seen before. So for me, really acquiring a taste for what the scriptures can do in your life, it had to start as just sheer obedience for me. But then there comes a moment when it crosses over and you realize boy, I just don't do as well if I'm not immersed. Mm-hmm. And whatever that looks like, I don't, I've never had the privilege of knowing what it looks like to have five little ones pulling on your leg and you know reaching their hands underneath the bathroom door.
1: Mommy, mommy, you know,
2: I've never dealt with that. I have dealt with crushing pressure from so many obligations that I think I don't know how to do this. So I know that kind of pressure.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Regardless of what your life circumstances are, I think it takes some time to get into a pattern where you just basically get to the point where you say, yeah, I'm not going to live without that. I got to have that. So how will I make sure that's a part of my life? And that's what—that's the point you have to get to.
1: Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that because I think there's also times in your life that maybe you've had that pattern and you fall out of it and uh-huh. you have to kind of get to that point you to again get mm-hmm. where you cross over and you're like, yes, I know that yeah. I can't live without this again. And, yeah. and that's fine wherever you're at.
2: And that would be true of me. What you just said is absolutely mm-hmm.
0: true. Well, and it's sort of... What you're describing then is kind of this long game. This isn't like, okay, right now I'm committing myself for the rest of my life to scripture. It's like every day we have to keep going, choose to exercise faith, and Mm -hmm. and keep. And when we fall off the wagon, we get back on. Get back on. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think something that you said there too that is important is giving ourselves permission to say, yeah, I'm I'm reading straight through, but I also have these questions. Or I have this assignment or I love what you said about I'm going to give myself an assignment mm-hmm. because you've spoken a lot about how questions are good mm-hmm. and that if we're not asking questions and then pursuing those mm-hmm. answers that we're, we're probably yeah. not receiving revelation or finding, well, we're not going to find answers if we're not asking questions, right?
2: Questions are so good and give yourself a question you know, I'm not really settled about this policy. I wonder why this is like that. What can I learn from the scriptures and the teachings of prophets, seers, and revelators? The combo there is powerful. Mm-hmm. So going deep on a topic to say, this is what I'm going to go after for a while.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm going to go after this for a while to see... Like I remember when I was in a really tough phase of life, Very, I was recovering from a really sad breakup, mm-hmm. and uh, my life was just crushed. And it was actually in the time period after that where certain things happened that made me start to realize, oh, you mean the atonement is more than just something that enables me to repent? That it can help heal my broken heart? And it was a scripture. There was a scripture in Luke and another one in Ether. And I thought, oh, wait, there's more to this than I realized. So for some period of time, my assignment was to look in the scriptures to say, What can you learn about what the Savior has already done for you to heal you of weakness, disappointment, sadness, despair, discouragement? What has He already done? Mm -hmm. Anxiety, all those things Mm -hmm. that may... What has He done to help me with that that I've known I could repent, but I didn't know there was power to help me with all of that, to enable me to do things I couldn't do on my own? Well, that was a project that lasted a while, (laughs) right? Because you start digging and you say, oh, my gosh, it's everywhere. I've come to heal the wounded soul, right? I've come to to heal your broken heart. I've da 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 da, but I hadn't seen it before. But then I was in a stage of life where I needed it, and I could see it.
0: I love you've also given some advice that I, I think sometimes I'm like I I don't have a burning question. I, there's not something that's really driving me. And you've said that if we don't know what to ask, we can think about things that scare us, worry us, confuse mm-hmm. us, hurt us, puzzle us or potentially threaten our faith and progression. And I appreciated that because I think at any point in our lives, we can stop and think about that and so, be like, oh, yeah, there's definitely something there that I can dive deeper. And that's what brings us closer mm-hmm. into connection with verses of Scripture or counsel from church leaders that become personal, that mean something to us.
2: There's almost always something you're trying to figure out, something you're kind of worried about. There's always something in in those realms. And, and there
1: are answers in the Scriptures for like all of it. Because I think sometimes we're thinking, what gospel questions do I have? Like, I just think of historically, I had problems in like school or with work and just different relationships. And it's like, the gospel is, you know, so intertwined with our lives that those are gospel questions. And the scriptures do have answers to these problems that we have every day. Yeah, exactly. Well, I love this discussion about scriptures and questions. And it just reminds me. So President Nelson, he's talked a lot about, you know, women seeking spiritual treasures and I love that in general women's session of conference, he referenced section 25 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. Um, and he asked women to prayerfully study this section and to just learn to draw on the power of God and, and seek revelation. And this section is meaningful to me because I served a mission in Kirtland. And when we would give tours of the Newell K. Whitney store, we'd be in the kitchen where Emma, thats that was her kitchen, uh-huh. you know, mm-hmm. well, that she used while she while they lived there. And we would talk about section 25 of the Doctrine and Covenants and about Emma's role in the restoration. And we'd talk about the counsel that the Lord gave to her specifically, but then he said, you know, this is for everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so in preparing for this interview, you know, we were again, reviewing a lot of your talks and interviews. And I feel like there were several references that you made to section 25 of the Doctrine and Covenants over several years. And I just would love to know what is the significance of this section to you. You know, why has it been so meaningful into your life in your life? And why should it be meaningful to all women of the church?
2: So one of the great things about that, I mean, we could pull open our scriptures right now and we could pull, we could go to some specific verses and say, hey, what are they, what does it make you think and feel or whatever? But for me, one of the things that is great about that section is the sheer reality that it was to Emma and that it talked about the important things that she needed to do. And then said, this is to all. And to me, that is a bigger message that says, look, Emma had a divine orbit. I like to call it a divine orbit. She had an orbit that. that she was going to work in, and people were going to come inside of her orbit. And her orbit was pretty big because she was married to the president of the church and to the prophet of this dispensation. But every woman has an orbit, every single woman. If you even start to do the math, you think about, okay, you're both young, and you've got a lot of life ahead of you. And start to think about how many people do you think you'll have direct influence over it in the course of your life? It's an astonishing number. So when you think about that, every woman has, and I'll, and I'll interrupt myself to say, and every time somebody, people say, well, you know, but women don't have the influence that men do in the church. And I think, Oh, yeah, don't even get me onto that topic because we won't have enough tape to, or however we're digital. I guess digital, you never run out of tape. But um, I date myself by saying tape. But I think we, we don't have enough time to go into that. But the fact is nobody influences men more than women. Nobody influences young men more than young women. And I, having just lost my mother, the, the impact that a mother has on her children is just undeniable and it actually can't be duplicated by someone else. So in the course of your lives, you're going to have influence on how many people in your orbit. It's going to be thousands of people in your family, in your communities, in your neighborhoods, in your wards, in your extended family, with your friends, where you work. It's going to happen. And so to me, you look at that and say, you've got an orbit that is every bit as significant as Emma's or Eliza's or Emmeline's or Bathsheba's, or any of these great women who had very profound orbits, but is it more profound than yours? Now, I would argue no. Different than yours maybe, but not more profound and not more important and certainly not more important to the Lord. So imagine if every woman actually believed she could change lives constantly if she would adhere to the kinds of instruction that the Lord, through the prophet Joseph Smith, gave Emma. And I think President Nelson, what he's saying to us today is, I'll do that for each of you. I plead with you to increase your capacity to receive personal revelation. The purpose of that being to say,
0: Find out what you need. Find out.
2: Find out. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to guide you because, by the way, I need you. And the Lord knows how incredible the influence of women is. And women have a way of touching each other and touching people in just a very, very personal, emotional way. He knows that. He knows that. And so every woman who is open to being, to truly consecrating as we do in the temple and to truly saying, I'm, you, you got me, whatever you want, imagine the impact of that to change the world. So I think that's what 25 signals for every single woman. And we see it in this pattern of Emma, but I think that was meant for all of us as much as for Emma. Probably helped all Emma in the moment and helped all the rest of us forever.
0: I appreciate that so much. And I think what I was thinking about as you were describing these orbits is that they are unique and that they're Mm -hmm. different. And really the only person that can decide or help you decide what your role is, is it's between you and God. It's you. And that's the beautiful message that I think we're getting from President Nelson and other church leaders is your mission is going to be different than... The woman next door, or the woman mm-hmm. in your ward, or, or even the women that went before you. Mm-hmm. And so find out what that is, and the impact is immeasurable.
2: So let's look at President Nelson for a second, can we? So he's been married to two astonishing women. His first wife, Sister Dancel Nelson, from all accounts, and I did meet her but didn't know her really well, but from all accounts was extraordinary. Well, she raised
0: t- ten children? Ten children, as and, your husband's going through uh, medical school and, and training, I can't, ten children. I can't imagine it. <laughs> and,
2: and had profound influence on him in so many ways and mm-hmm. he's the first to acknowledge it. In fact, he did in a general conference mm-hmm. talk where he talked about being so discouraged because some of the children he'd operated on died and mm-hmm. she said, Go back mm-hmm. to the lab. get back to the lab. Yep. <laughs> the path of Sister Wendy Nelson is different. She's born no children, much to her sadness. But that hasn't been what she was called to do. But she's been called to stand by him. In his, in his later years. So those orbits are really different. Is one more important than the other? No, they're both profoundly important. And I think that too, I think number one, that that's part of the reason President Nelson's had this amazing experience to have these um, an amazing wife in Dancil an amazing wife in Wendy and nine amazing daughters and a daughter-in-law who's off the charts So he has seen and experienced with his own eyes the power that women have as mothers, grandmothers, aunts, teachers, leaders, and so forth. And he's seen it up close and personal. So I think he's basically saying to the rest of us, come on, girls, Mm -hmm. let's go. Mm -hmm. You can do this. And I I know you can do it because I'm watching it in my own family, and they're just a little microcosm of the church.
0: Well, and what it says to me, too, is that comparison is... It's kind of a waste of time. It's bad yeah. because and that I think can be such an encouraging and needed message for women. Because Amen. it just doesn't it doesn't do you any good to look at the okay. woman next to you and her role and her mission and her orbit because it's going to be different than yours. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't there is no lesser than or greater than, it's just it's your own.
2: No one will ever be happy trying to live someone else's life. The only way you can have peace of mind is when you know you're where the Lord wants you to be. And that's also the way the only way you can deal with disappointment. That's mm-hmm. the only way. Mm-hmm. It's the only way I've been able to deal with not having the chance to get married at least yet or have children, which I will not be able to have children here now. It's too late. And the only way is the only comfort is, okay, but I feel pretty confident I'm where the Lord wants me to be. That's the mm-hmm. only way you can cope with it. Thank and God. everybody deals with disappointment. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to deal with things that they didn't expect and Take them differently in a different way than they thought
0: would go. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a perfect transition to our next question, which is that you, Sherry, were the very first unmarried woman to serve in the General Reef Society presidency. Is that correct? I think <laughs> Or at least we, in modern I think we gosh. think that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered if
2: that was exactly true,
0: but it certainly recently. In, yes. As far as we know, yes, yes. yes as far yeah. as we know. As far as we know. And to speak of your your impact, you know, I think your words and experiences as a single woman brought comfort and inspiration and perspective to so many people. And in particular, I think about your um, 2001 general conference talk, Are We Not All Mothers? And I think that that had such a huge impact on the way that we as members of the church, leaders in the church, as the way that we talk about women and women's roles and what it it really means to be a mother. And as we were preparing for this interview, I read a really interesting account that I had never heard before of how that talk came about. And I think we hadn't heard it before, and we would love for our listeners to be able to hear kind of the impetus for that talk, what brought that about.
2: Sure. So the general officers of the church have the chance, in a non-COVID world, they have the chance... (laughs) Uh, pre-general conference to be invited to some of the general authority training. And that was, I think they were invited even to even more mm-hmm. than uh, we were. But we were invited to come as well to quite a bit of it. And we were in a general authority training session, uh, one of those days right before general conference. And the general authority that was leading the discussion stood up at the beginning of a, a very long all-morning session and said, today, we're going to talk about the way that we as general authorities and general officers of the church can try to help strengthen the families of the, of the church. And so he started asking questions of the audience again, but picture what it is. It's mostly men.
1: Mm-hmm. I know it's all the general few,
2: authorities.
0: A few colored blouses and or jackets. Nine.
2: There's <laughs> nine. nine. That's <laughs> yeah. it. And so he starts asking questions and was certainly involving us as part of that conversation. Right off the top, somebody said something about it was answering a question that he posed and answered it by referring to, well, when a woman does da 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 and he stopped the person, he said, anytime you refer to a woman, I want you to call her a mother. And he did the same thing when somebody referred to men. No, 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 call them fathers. We're talking about mothers and fathers. He did it over and over and over and over. And after a while, I started to slump down in my chair, and I, and I got this just sick feeling. I looked around and I thought, I am the only person in this room who's not married. And I felt increasingly, by the time we had sat through four hours of that, I felt like I had been beat to a pulp. I was crushed. And I'd learned a long time earlier to deal with insensitive things that are said in the church because they're said all the time. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: (laughs) This wasn't the first. No, no, no. But it was coming from somebody I admired and respected immensely, and I felt like it was a personal indictment on me. I couldn't get out of the room fast enough. Got back, walked ahead of my of the rest of the women. I couldn't get, I couldn't get back to my office in the Relief Society building fast enough to close the door and just cry. And at first I was deeply sad. You know, we got through General Conference and I was sad, and then I got mad. <laughs> I was just mad. I thought, how can you do this? How can you, with a, with a wave of your hand, just disregard so many members of the church who for whatever reason at the moment aren't married and probably want to be? How can you do that? How can you, can you completely, and I was I was stewing about that for a long time. This was in April conference. I stewed about that for months. So it comes time in the late summer, early fall to start preparing for my conference talk and the talk, especially for the it was then called the General Leaf Society meeting. And I worked on that for, I was fasting and praying and going to the temple and working on it. and I mean nothing was coming, nothing. And I'm starting to get a little panicked because the weeks are rolling by. (laughs) And I've been working on it for weeks. And all I've done is burn through, I don't know how many reams of paper. And one day, finally, I had a very clear impression. And the impression was, you need to resolve your feelings about that general authority. I thought, oh, Oh. brother, (laughs) sure. You need to forgive that general authority and understand what he was saying. And fall closely on that was a day or two later, or a few days later maybe, I had the impression you should speak about motherhood at the General Relief Society meeting. And I remember where I was, I remember looking at <laughs> him saying, oh, come on, seriously?
1: <laughs>
2: I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to. I'm not the person to do it. I don't want to do it. But it was clear. And so I started really studying. And I went to the temple again and again, and I went to the Pearl of Great Price again and again, to really see everything I could plumb out of the story of Adam and Eve. I thought, what can we learn from Adam and Eve? I looked at everything I could find that prophets, seers, and revelators had ever said about mothers and motherhood. And over time, what do you think I found? That what that general authority had been doing in that training session was exactly right. That Eve was designated as the mother of all living before she ever bore any children on this earth. That there was a doctrine of motherhood and that it really encompasses a divine endowment to all women. And that, yes, we tend to describe women in this life as those who actually physically bear children. And certainly it starts with that. Nothing more profound or important than that. But that that doesn't exclude others when they understand what their divine role is and also their divine gifts. We just have to find other ways of loving and leading again, for those of us who haven't gotten to bear children. So what I found was that whether or not he did what he did in that training session was done artfully doesn't really matter because what I found in giving the message was, oh, are we not all mothers? Yes, we are. And one of the interesting things about that, so that message was a very hard-fought message. It was a, a tutoring message. A really serious uh, extended tutorial for me. And as it turns out, it was better delivered by someone who hadn't had the privilege of having having children. Because the minute a woman, and I didn't see that at the time, but the minute a woman of seven, a mother of seven gets up and talks about how great it is to be a mother, everybody's kind of going, well, yeah, of course you've got to say that. This is the choice you've made in your life and da-da-da-da-da. It's been
0: your experience. Yeah, yeah.
2: it's been your experience. I, I didn't actually even realize that until I was A fine point was put on it, it would have been, that was 2001, right? So this would have been about five years later, I was speaking at a conference for young adults in Europe, It was being held in Salzburg, and it became really clear in talking to the girls there that they had been fed a steady diet from a lot of the society in which they were living in, that there wasn't anything great about being a mother, and so I set aside my remarks and said, okay, let's talk about this. And we started mm-hmm. talking about motherhood the rest of the time. And afterward, the state police release president in Salzburg, who was kind of hosting me, pulled me aside and we were we were leaving the conference. And she said, I think you tricked everybody <laughs> <laughs> because nobody expected you to talk about this. But you talking about it is stronger than if I would talked about it simply because I could say to these girls, let me tell you what you don't want to do. You don't ever want to keep yourself from the chance to be a mother, to get married and be a mother. I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I had done that. And it's hard enough as Mm. it is. So when you say it that way, that's a different thing than a mother of six getting up and saying, blah, 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 blah. Being a
0: mom is so important. And I'm
2: not saying that, that, that women who've born children shouldn't talk about motherhood. Don't misunderstand me, not at all. I just didn't realize until after the fact that actually deliver that message from the mouth of someone who hadn't had the privilege made it ring more true for some. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'd say it that way. But I didn't see it at the time. I was just annoyed about the whole thing. And very grateful at the end of the process for what I learned.
1: And as you were talking about your experience, it just, I was thinking of people in my life who have gone through something similar where, because of a variety of reasons, I mean, their marital, marital or family status, their background, their sexual orientation, doubts or questions that they have that are leading to a faith crisis. It's all of these things that maybe make them feel like they don't fit like in they the don't belong, and that mm-hmm. they don't belong. And you said you went through these feelings of like being annoyed and then you were so sad and then you were mad. Mm-hmm. But then what I heard you say is you worked to resolve those feelings. And so it makes, it makes me sad because I think people stop at these stages when yeah. they're sad, they're mad, and they What's beautiful and difficult about the gospel is that Heavenly Father wants us to find these questions, and mm-hmm. He's provided resources for us to do so. And so that's a really incredible blessing to us, but that also makes it very difficult for some people to have the patience and put in the work to like really find these answers. And I just want to know, what advice would you have for those who might feel like for all of these reasons or whatever other reasons, they feel like there's not a place for them in the church or that they don't belong?
2: Okay, so I want to answer that from two sides if I could. First of all, for those who feel that they are firmly root, rooted and grounded in the church, one of the things that we have to guard against is being sure that we don't become impatient with those who are still struggling to get there. Yeah. And sometimes, in fact, often we have to be the one to build a bridge to them mm-hmm. because they're not a spot where they can mm-hmm. build a bridge. And so it's the challenge of saying, look, I'm not judging the choices you're making. I'm not judging where you are in your life. Uh, I'm here to help help you cross the bridge if you want to and if you're ready to. So there's a a role on that side to reach out to someone who doesn't feel like they belong and try to help them have a solid enough footing so that they can explore. When you're troubled about something and feel like you don't belong, and I do know what that feels like. I absolutely do. I've had recurring experiences with that to remind me what it feels like. And on the other side, I've had I've had so many wonderful experiences and opportunities to serve in the church that I can never complain. I'm just mostly grateful for the experiences I've had. But the challenge is to explore your questions in an environment of faith rather than one of doubt. It's saying, look, let's say you've got an issue with a policy. I don't get this. I don't even know if I like it. But I'm going to assume that the Lord will talk to me about this. He may or may not give me the answer, but he may be give me an answer for me that helps me right now. And I'm going to assume in an attitude of faith rather than say, well, I don't think I like this. I don't even know if I can find any answers. So the first is you've got to approach it with faith. That's why faith is the first principle of the gospel, or else it's not going to go anywhere very far. The other thing is that I think it's important to realize that if you really, especially in the Book of Mormon... If you really look at the Lord's language—not the language of others, but the Lord's language—it's always completely inclusive. Look at the times he uses the words every and all. All may come unto me. All may do. Whosoever will. All you have to do is have the will to come. So when you look at the Lord's language, it's every race. It's both genders. It's all ages it's all nationalities. It's all languages. And I think in the church that we do some amazing work in sending the signal about how serious we are about that. And I think culturally, we still have a ways to go.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. And that's on all of us. Mm -hmm. That's on every one of us and how we make the person sitting next to us in the pew, when we get to go back to the pews, how we make (laughs) them feel and how welcoming we are of them to make them feel like, I don't know, if you're married now or not, if you're yeah, regardless of what the color of your skin is, regardless of what your native language is, the Lord says all, all the time in the scriptures, particularly the Book of
1: Mormon. That's a fun little project to explore. Mm-hmm. Look at all the
2: times the Lord says all and every.
1: Well, and that was so insightful that you began your answer with people who do feel like they are deeply rooted in the gospel and our role in this inclusivity and changing the culture. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There's something really important to learn about building bridges. So I was 30ish, no, 36 probably when I was called a stake release I president in a stake where I don't know if there were any other unmarried people. <laughs> wow. Everybody was my age, but they were all young, raising families. Right. And here I'm called a stake release I present. And I think, wow, well, how's that gonna work? And what became very apparent to me, I mean instantly was, Sherry, you have to build the bridge to them. They don't know how to build it to you. Mm -hmm. They don't understand your life. They've been married for 10 plus years. they got a house full of kids and teenagers now. They're handling everything they can handle. You have to build the bridge. And I think that that is something, again, those who are settled in their faith need to understand is often we need to be the ones to build the bridge so that somebody else has a landing place. And they got a place that they can start from and feel included even while they're exploring. I just think bridge building is one of the principal roles of a leader.
0: And I think part of our covenants. Right? Yeah, that's a great point. Right.
1: Well, Sherry, as we conclude this interview, we would just love to know if there is anything else you would like to add or anything you would want to say to the women of the church.
2: Maybe we could start we could finish sort of where we started. We started off by talking about my grandmother and my mother. And by the world's estimation, they lived unspectacular lives. In my estimation, they lived amazing lives. I'm guessing that most women in the church feel that way about their lives, that there's nothing remarkable about them. They're not even sure if they're doing any good. They're not even sure of all the effort they put into their children or their their work or their church callings or their extended family, if it ever really results in anything. And one of the things that I've had the privilege of seeing in my life from different reasons, from serving as a general officer, from uh, interviewing and writing about prophets, from traveling with prophets, from fulfilling other kinds of assignments, I've seen women in many, many countries. And I'm telling you right now, you could walk to a world map, blindfold me, I could throw a dart, pick the, wherever it lands, you could get on a plane and fly there, and within, give me 24 hours in the country, and you can find Latter-day Saint women who can hold their own with anybody anywhere in the world. I think we underappreciate and don't recognize the remarkable training, if I could call it training, mm-hmm. that we get in the church about leading and about following, about speaking and teaching, about nurturing, about caring about ministering. And one of the things I love about the change from visiting teaching home teaching to ministering is I think that it more fully describes what it is the Lord is hoping we will do for each other. And what I would want to say to the sisters of the church is how remarkable they are in their ordinariness. How remarkable it is when a woman in today's world will make covenants and keep them. That is extraordinary. And I just don't think that you can measure or limit the influence of a woman of God who has the Holy Ghost with her to guide her. And I think that's why I don't mean to be second-guessing President Nelson, but I have interpreted that that's why he keeps saying to us, please increase your capacity to receive revelation because you will be a remarkable tool in the hands of the Lord. And every woman has an orbit. Every woman is in the position of having extraordinary influence on the individuals around her in a way that can be life changing. I think that's what I would want to say. Maybe I could conclude. Can I tell you one little story? Please. Please, Yeah. So a few years ago, I was teaching Relief Society, and we were talking about... I don't exactly remember the exact theme of the lesson, but during the lesson, a woman raised her hand. This is a fantastic woman, young woman, pregnant with their fourth, and she was adorable. Cutest pregnant woman on the planet. (laughs) But she got to talking about our divine role And she said that she had just recently been with her husband to a dinner in downtown Salt Lake City where a lot of the local leaders were present. And she and her husband had found themselves seated next to a very prominent individual and his wife who were being honored, who had come in from out of town. And at one point, this man, she was seated next to the gentleman, and he looked over and he said, well, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm the the mother of three, soon to be four, and uh, we have a busy household and uh, takes all the time I have to run our lives and help support everything that's going on with my husband, with all the assignments I have, and with my children. And he looked at her, and he kind of said, oh, and then turned to find someone more interesting to talk to. And she said, I'm sorry to tell you that in that moment I felt a little embarrassed to say that I was just a mother doing all these things. And if you knew her, you'd know that her orbit is huge, She and her husband are just getting ready to conclude being mission presidents, in fact. And I stood there and I remember thinking, well, maybe the next time somebody asks you that, you could say something like, well, I'm helping four children along the path to exaltation. How about you? (laughs) And I think that could be said of every woman. Yes, for sure of a mother, but every covenant woman is helping others along the path to exaltation. That's the fact. Women have extraordinary influence in doing that and i know that that is true and that testimony is what i would want to leave
0: thank you so much i think we often hear these you know words of encouragement or phrases from leaders in the church or elsewhere that that women are remarkable, that women are important. And I think your experiences and sharing your own personal connections with your mom and grandma have helped illustrate that and maybe helped hopefully helped our listeners to stop and think about no, there is something, there is something here about the value and contributions of women. So thank you. My thank pleasure. you so much for being here thank and for you. sharing those
1: personal things. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. And if you're enjoying hearing the stories and experiences of the women that we get to talk to on our show, we'd love to hear from you. Please take a moment to leave a rating or review on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts and feel free to reach out to us with any feedback or ideas that you have for future episodes. You can contact Carly and me at podcasts at churchofjesuschrist.org. Until next time, I'm Shaylin Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening.